Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. Uh, if you are like me, you are checking your phone and your web browsers and your Zite account to keep up with uh, the latest things that are moving through the public eye and moving through the news cycle. One of the things that is definitely moving faster than really anything else is the uh, explosion of technology and how it is revolutionizing medicine, how it is turning really everything we think about on its head from transparency in medicine to issues around patient privacy, and then, of course, medical innovation and how it's affecting physicians, hospitals, those who are seeking care at the ground level. It is all happening unbelievably fast. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with as well. Uh, KQED, which is a part of the PBS uh, universe, recently launched an amazing sort of clearinghouse or blog called The Future of You. Uh, and I'm really excited to have the uh, editor and host of Future Review join me, Christina Farr. Uh, she is the host of this new enterprise. And it is finally we have a landing spot, Christina. Thank you so much for setting up Future Review. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's been a whirlwind six months. And, um, you know, we're trying to publish at least once a day. It's mainly just me uh, running the blog, but so far it's been a lot of fun. And, and like you said, this is an amazing time to be covering the intersection of, of healthcare and technology. One of the things that I needed as a physician and also just as a person who's interested is a place to kind of come where things can be summarized, things can be sort of be put into context. You know, when you sort of look through Twitter, or you just look around anywhere else, the, the, the evolution is so fast. In the last week alone, and I'm, you've been actually writing about some of these things. In literally in one week, there was a recall of uh, hospital and nursing home-based IV infusion pumps because of concerns that they could be remotely hacked and that the medication administration could be modified by um, you know a person with a potentially nefarious interest. We've had the first medication made by a 3D printer approved by the FDA. And then just, I think it was last night, Yelp announced that they are going to start publishing uh, healthcare data uh, compiled from CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, on Yelp re relating to hospitals, nursing homes, and I would imagine down the road, individual physicians and care providers. These sorts of things. I mean, to, for that to happen in a week, it, it's just dizzying. Oh my gosh, it's been a crazy week in the newsroom, and we actually did cover all of those events. Um, I personally looked into the first 3D printed medication, um, which is, you know, an could be an amazing development for patients. And can you imagine going into the pharmacist and, and every pharmacy across America has got some kind of cheap 3D printer and they can, you know, print customized medication or rather than having to take 10 pills, you can take one or maybe it's a, it's a medication for kids in the shape of a cute animal. I mean, it's endless possibilities there. Um, and then, of course, the, the medical device vulnerabilities that you mentioned, it was reminiscent of this episode in, in Homeland. Um, do you ever see that show? I watched the first season. I can't pretend that I didn't burn out on it just a little bit. I know that some people really liked it, but my wife and I kind of said, ah, we're going to move on to other things. Yeah, I, I had the, the same experience as you, but I, I do remember um, an episode where some hackers broke into the vice president's pacemaker, and that's how they killed him. And it was... It was uh, <laughs> You know, I was thinking at the time, this is a terrifying future, and, and now we, we've had, 
you know, the FDA kind of show that this is actually a very real concern. Yeah. Um, and hackers like Billy Rios, uh, formerly of, of Google, um, who we interviewed for, for a story on the topic, just with a garage full of medical devices, um, showing kind of the things that sophisticated hackers can do remotely. Um, so I, I, I agree, this is definitely something to be, to be concerned about now. You know, when the way my mind works, and I think a lot of us, we need to break things into components. We need to, I, I can't absorb all of these things. I'll be totally honest. I, I just, I can't assimilate it. I can't put it into context. I have to break them into pieces. And so I want to kind of give you the pieces that I've broken this into. There seems like to me, there's three big buckets that this revolution in healthcare and healthcare technology is falling into. And I want to see if you can kind of validate this for me, help me improve it, because then this can be like a starting point for this conversation, because it just seems otherwise it's too hard to keep up. It seems like bucket number one is an issue around transparency in healthcare. And what I mean by that is patients having more access. You know, there's the, the open notes project where patients and nurses, patients and doctors literally are writing their notes together and both have open access. I interviewed Regina Holiday on the podcast, and she has a mm -hmm. really powerful movement around patients having better access to their medical records. This issue, again, around transparency, you know, the, the surgeon's scorecard from ProPublica, and of course, what we just talked about with Yelp. That seems like it's bucket number one. Bucket two is the issue of privacy. That's a huge bucket. That's all these issues around safety, devices being able to be hacked, patients, you know, going to a company and, you know, Eric Topol talks in his book about getting their whole genome sequence, but then that being held by a third-party server. And then the third big bucket, it seems like, is this innovation bucket, the 3D printers making prosthetic limbs, medications, uh, and, and that sort of front. D does that seem like a fair context? Is there anything that I'm missing? Is, there any, is that a reasonable place to at least start this conversation? I think it's, it's definitely a great set of categories, especially as we're thinking about how healthcare is changing. Um, if we're thinking about the bigger landscape, there's like a whole opposing set, um, things like medical paternalism and mm -hmm. um, a lack of transparency that are also kind of counter forces that are very much still at work. Um, but, I, but I like that. And um, with the transparency piece especially, I find it super interesting that we've had organizations like ProPublica, which are journalistic, even get involved with this. And it seems like we've, we sort of blurred the lines a little bit between editorial and and something else like some kind of mission um and pro public is the surgeon scorecard i mean that was we we did cover that and um it had a lot of controversy around it because this was the first time that a patient could look up an individual surgeon by name and see their complication rates um things like you know how many readmissions they've had or deaths that were deemed unnecessary i can um, tell you from the physician side the ProPublica release was like dropping a boulder into a still lake. Um, oh, that God. was a sea change. Because we we talk about this a lot. We know, you know, I'm I'm one of the people who I'm trying to kind of be out on the forefront of this stuff as much as possible. Obviously, I'm still in full time practice. I only have so much time. But hey, you know, colleagues and friends, this stuff is coming. This stuff is going to drill down to our individual names on an individual basis. It's going to be here before we know it, and then boom, um, that report came out. Uh, yeah, and in credit to them, I think they did do a great job with trying to be as conservative as possible and not call out physicians who, for example, were at hospitals that treated a lot of low-income people who had didn't have very much access to services mm -hmm. once they left the hospital, and it might not be their fault. Yeah. Um, so they did think about that, and they spent years on this project. Yes. Um, but even then, you know, you did see a ton of backlash from the medical profession because I think 
you know, there are certainly um, those that believe that this kind of data should not be available at all. So then let's look a little bit at that privacy one, too. Let's just touch on each of these sort of three buckets. Where do you think the the direction of the privacy one is heading? Um, privacy, that's a, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I would sort of look at the, the tech industry on this one. Um, I mean, think about Apple. I used to cover Apple full time, um, and, and I covered Apple when they were just beginning to move into healthcare. And now they have health kit, research kit, all these various services that are helping people collect and make sense of their own health information. And Apple has been, I think, very forward thinking in their privacy policies and have said, you know, we want people's consent for any uh, sharing of this data with any outside services. And I think I think they've sort of set the ball in motion for how other health developers and even health systems should be thinking about about privacy. Um, so that that's an interesting one. Um, and then security is is a whole another issue. I mean, Eric Topol, you, you mentioned that you had interviewed him recently. He put out this this tweet a few months ago that got a lot of activity, and it was about medical records. And he said you're five times more likely to have your medical record be hacked than you are to ever access it, Um, which I think shows kind of the scale of of this problem. That is such an interesting juxtaposition. Like you said, there's these sort of forces moving in one direction, and then there's sort of counterbalancing or or, or counter forces moving in the other. And I think that's a great snapshot of that, that it's still really hard to get your records unless you want to get someone's records for sort of, you know, evil purposes or something like that. Um, the the innovation piece. This is the one that gets a lot of attention to. This is the sexy stuff. This is the devices that people can wear, track their heart rate, track their step count with their Fitbit, track their blood glucose level, get a blood, you know, there's the, obviously Theranos has a lot of attention being able to monitor blood tests with a single drop of blood. Talk a little bit about how quickly that frontier, the innovation frontier is changing. Oh, there's just, there's a, just a massive amount of money being poured into <laughs> yes. digital health right now um, in Silicon Valley and, and the East Coast. I think it was $4.1 billion last year, which is just an, an enormous sum. Um, and I believe that was a 125% increase from the previous year. So investors are, are really starting to see that you know healthcare and, and technology in particular is, is, a, is a really hot space. I think a lot of the reason for that, which doesn't get as much attention, is actually coming from the, the public sector, the government. Um, and, it's, and it's been the Affordable Care Act and the, and the lesser-known High-Tech Act, um, which set aside a ton of money in the, in the billion-dollar, um, multi-billion-dollar range just to get hospitals to um, adopt digital systems, like on electronic medical records and, and the like. Um, and these kind of um, pushes from, from the government, I think, you know, really awaken Silicon Valley for how the potential in, in, um, in new types of health technologies. And, and there's potentially even now a, a business model there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, we, we can certainly talk about some of these new digital health apps and tools because, you know, the, Eric Topol is another big fan, but there's just a whole range of them now. So if we put these three buckets into sort of one larger box, this sort of this revolution of medicine box, the, the rate of growth in the last 18 months has been stunning. The rate of growth in the last six months seems like it's been a logarithmic shift and it just seems like it's going faster and faster. Do you feel like the process is going to start to plateau soon? Do you feel like it's going to continue to accelerate faster and faster? 
what do you think this big box, this revolution box is going to look like over the, the rest of, you know, let's just say the rest of 2015? Well, I actually don't see it plateauing because while we've had a lot of interest in new applications for wellness, I guess, this uh-huh. sort of wellness bucket, um, and that's things like Fitbits um, and other devices like that that help you track your steps and, and your sleep levels and things like that for people who are generally healthy. We haven't unlocked a, the same amount of kind of opportunity and potential in devices for people that are sick, for people with multiple chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is uh, is regulation and compliance and all these tricky things. It's, it's far more difficult and more expensive to get a device to market, um, generally speaking, that, that would help people with diseases like diabetes and, and heart disease and the rest. Um, but I think the FDA is starting to, you know, really formalize and firm up how they view these types of tools and the processes are, are getting kind of more efficient. So I think we, we are going to see more of that. And investors are starting to come around to the idea that, 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 that this might be where the real money is, is in serving people who are sick and, and in need. So do you think that that part, that could end up being the motor, it seems like, that could really drive the the whole thing forward that way as that money starts to pour in. I mean, we've seen it uh, 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 just in our lifetimes, how that money can pour in quickly and things can change. And then everything else kind of moves uh, almost in sort of in parallel along with it. Um, do you, is that going to happen? I mean, if you had to prognosticate, are we going to see this process accelerate um, and see more and more things start hitting the market faster and faster? Yeah, um, I, I definitely think it will. And I'm expecting to see a lot more in the sort of artificial intelligence space and machine learning, you know, to sum it up, it would be tools that can help make sense of all of the data that we've, that we're able now to gather about people's health Mm -hmm. Um, and potentially also, you know, take a look at all that data and say, here's what you should potentially do next, or here's an option. Um, Because it's not always, you know, here's a bunch of data, go and get a, a ton of tests. It might be, here's a bunch of data and perhaps you're better off even doing nothing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I'd love to see kind of more sophisticated tools like IBM's Watson and and others that that can really um, pull all this data into, into one place and then and then sort of like draw insights from it. I'm going to shamelessly plug one of my other guest books on that same theme. Uh, Bob Walker from UC San Francisco talks about a lot of those same themes in his book, The Digital Doctor. Uh, I interviewed him a while ago. That book is a, is a, is a really important book, and it really sets a lot of context around exactly what you're discussing and, and also how quickly it's developing. Um, let's, let's open the box again. Let's, the, the bucket I want to pull out first, though, is the privacy bucket. The reason I want to do that, the, the innovation bucket gets a ton of attention. Um, that's the sexy stuff. Like I said, that's the stuff that you'll see stock prices going up and you'll see IPOs and we're going to see all these crazy new products. I think the thing that we do need just to have people at least have a little more awareness of are the r- ramifications around personal privacy, industry privacy. Um, what sort of at least conversations are you hearing? What sort of attention is at least being paid to that, if any, as this process is accelerating? Well, there's a lot of talk around HIPAA. Mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is sort of a, a nerdy term, but it's really the set of, of compliance and regulations that comes with um, the, the process of self- sensitive health information being exchanged um, to within between a, a patient and a provider. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs hate HIPAA um, because it just makes their life far more difficult. 
Welcome Although, to the world of medicine. Yeah, <laughs> HIPAA's, yeah no, exactly. Look, HIPAA, HIPAA it, it comes from a good place, and it, it is tightly regulated what patients and physicians are and are not allowed to talk about. On balance, it's a good thing, for sure. Without HIPAA, you're in the Wild West. Um, yeah, and I, and think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would, would prefer to be in that Wild West and make their own decisions about you know how they want to deal with privacy. So there's the um, problem, but that then, isn't you know that isn't when, always that isn't the best for for something like a healthcare. That's um, the issue. That's right. That's where the issue where if the patient doesn't know that they are stepping out into the wild west, that's where I as a physician and as, as a consumer, that's where I start to get a little bit nervous. And it does seem like I, I, I worry that patients may assume that they're safer than they are. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree, and it's this it's this kind of question around terms of service, which mm-hmm. I look at a lot. And, you know, very few patients actually read the fine print. Mm-hmm. I don't read the fine print. I don't know if you do, but um, oftentimes, you know, if you actually do dig into it, there's a few sentences here and there that say, oh, well, you know, if you're sharing um, information about your health condition or family members, we could we could sell this to a third party or an advertiser, or we could share it with a, with a pharma customer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, perhaps that wouldn't do you any, any real harm, but I don't think most patients are aware um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, things like sharing their disease and the sort of like the drugs that they're taking and, and their opinions about them on a patient community forum could, you know, that data could be, could be bundled up and, and, and shared. Um, so I, I do think we need to really sit down and have a conversation about how to inform patients um, where their data is is going and who is benefiting from it, um, and do they still, you know, once they're informed, do they still want to share it? So it seems like the first step then is to make sure patients slash consumers at least know what is at risk and what is at jeopardy, so that they can at least make an informed opinion. Yeah, I mean that's that's basic. It's where where right. is your data going? Mm-hmm. So are uh, we going to be looking at warning labels on devices? More, it could it could be, or yeah. it could be some kind of uh, you know every time there's an update to a privacy policy, um, you get an email um, that kind of clearly states what that change has been. Um, I think I think we can think about a number of ways in which we could make this a bit more transparent than it is. If you were going to pick one, if you were if you were asked to be on an advisory board and say, look, you have a lot of expertise in this, you've been following it, give us give us solution one. What would you propose as the first thing? I would, I would say, you know, back to Apple, I would really look at Apple's model with HealthKit, which is to, at every step, ask patients whether they're consenting to share their data from one app to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that's the right approach is this kind of, you know, even before you agree, even before you say yes, you get kind of a, some kind of a notification or, or pop up on your modal, mobile device that says, do you agree? Um, and I, I think we could be doing a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my my kind of first recommendation. Yeah, whose responsibility do you think it's going to be to to help educate patients and consumers? Is it going to be the company? Is it going to be the individual themselves? Is it going to be their care provider? You know, if a physician says, "Hey, I want you to use this monitor that goes on your phone, and I can follow your heart rate for the next thirty days or whatever," is it going to be a shared responsibility? Where do you think that onus is going to land? That's a great question, and one that I've thought about quite a bit. Um, last year, I, I wrote a story about why we need more, and I called it watchdogs in mobile health, mm-hmm. because you know, Apple and Google aren't aren't are approving apps without really checking to see whether they're safe for patients and whether they are actually 
um, compliant and, um, and, you know, whether or not they should have been approved by the FDA. So it's not, it's not really Apple and Google. Um, and it's, it hasn't really been the doctor because they don't have the time to go through every single app and, and make recommendations for, for patients. So it's sort of landed in the patient's lap um, when they decide to use a new app, whether it's one that they can trust. Um, and a great example that we wrote about recently is, is mobile dermatology apps, mm-hmm. um, where you can snap a photo of a suspicious-looking mole, and they claim that either through an algorithm or some kind of doctor on their, on their team, they will tell you whether that you know, mole looks like it could be a melanoma or skin cancer and whether you should see your doctor. Um, and there are a whole wide range of these apps, and some of them are far better than others, but currently there really isn't an organization that says, you know, as a patient, as a physician, here are the ones that you can trust and the ones that you can, you can recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, again, it comes down to the consumer. And I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, that's, that's sort of the best going forward. And I, I think we do need to think about some other independent body that, that can comb through these apps, um, some kind of a, perhaps a, a health focused app store or something like that. The one that I'm hoping for, to be quite honest, just because it seems like they have a long tried and true history and a good reputation is consumer reports. Um, I'm sort of waiting for them to step into this. They've been around for so long, um, whether them or some other similar sort of entity, I don't mean to plug consumer reports. I don't have any sort of interest in consumer reports, but that's the idea where you can go and you can comb these things and you can learn about, have they had a security breach and do they crash and are they reliable and these sorts of things. Um, I think to rely on the physician is going to be a tricky one. And I say that because physician literacy in this sphere, I don't think is very good yet. I don't say that as a criticism. It's happening so fast and we're all so busy, just like everyone else with their lives and their careers and their work. It's just hard to keep up with this sort of thing. And so, um, and I think medical education is also just kind of starting to get its feet underneath it in terms of educating, you know, the physicians coming forward around this stuff. It's all happening really quickly. So I think I've had this happen in the hospital. Someone will ask me, what do you think of X, Y, or Z? And Sometimes I have to just tell them, you know, I don't have any experience with that yet. I haven't used it. I haven't even heard of it yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly knowledgeable at this stuff. I've learned a lot. Uh, so I think that that's going to be a tricky one uh, for pe- people to really rely on their physicians, at least for right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I even I focus pretty much full time on looking at mobile health and I wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, just on the face of it, whether one app was better than another. And it would totally depend on the use case. Um, the other thing that I would mention, especially related to consumer reports, which I think is a really interesting idea, is that it would need to be some kind of body that had inbuilt security expertise. Because mm. there was an attempt. Uh, do you remember Haptic? No, no, I'm not familiar with that. It was this um, this uh, health, like I mentioned, it, an app store for health, and they launched, and it was all very very exciting, and and the and the press were totally on board, and then like a security a group of security kind of white hat hackers um, were able to find security vulnerabilities in a number of the apps that Haptique had signed off on. So I think that showed that you that you really need that security expertise on on your team. Um, so if any any startups out there are listening and, and want to start this company, like please do. It's desperately <laughs> needed. Yeah. No, it's it's a rich ground. That's another entrepreneurial frontier, I think, is the whoever is sort of first to that one to say, look, we are the body that is going to be able to at least validate and somehow sign off on on this sort of thing. I think we'll do well. Um, I think there's definitely going to be a growing demand for it. The demand is going to spike 
if and when there's a catastrophe, if and when, you know, an IV pump actually gets hacked and there is actual harm to someone, God forbid that sort of thing should ever happen. But if we're ever faced with that sort of absolute nightmare scenario, the demand is going to skyrocket. Yeah. And that, that was a scary kind of reality of that piece that I wrote about why we need a, a watchdog was mm-hmm. that very likely that we wouldn't see much movement until something bad happened, um, which is, which is, you know, sort of a depressing way to look at it. Do you think that there is going to be movement from a governmental side, from an industry side, from a, a consumer advocacy side? Who's going to lead the way? Um, you know, interestingly, I don't think it's going to be the FDA because that's not been their traditional role to kind of comb through, you know, every app store or, you know, database and find potential worrying um, applications. I think it's, you know, that's not really what they do. Um, but we have seen the um, FTC crack down on a, on a few of these mobile health applications and saying, you know, that we've seen evidence of false marketing here. Um, so there, there is going to be some interest from from government, and I think um, they will take, you know, a little bit of a of a stand. Um, but we need something more than that because I don't I don't think that any government agency wants to take on this task full time. It's going to be a huge task, that is for sure. We are going to spin this podcast into a part two. Uh, we have a lot more to discuss with Christina Farr from uh, the KQED and PBS uh, website, Future of You. Come back and join us for part two, and uh, we'll see you just shortly. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.